Last week we began this little mini-series leading up to Easter. In this series we are covering what are sometimes called the offices of Christ, the offices of Christ as prophet, priest, and king, drawing on the, the offices found in ancient Israel. So one way, one way to see more of the glory of Jesus Christ in terms of who he is and what he has accomplished for you is to think in these three offices as being fulfilled in him, prophet, priest, and king. And today we're going to look at the office of priest. So let me pray, and then Alan's going to read for us. Spirit of God, would you fill us and grant the gift of illumination, opening the eyes of our hearts, that we would not leave here unaffected, not unaffected by the glory of who Jesus is for us and what he has accomplished. Spirit, would you do that for each person here, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's uh, hear from Hebrews chapter 7, verses 11, 28. This is God's word. Now, if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it, is, it's, for under it the people received the law, what further need would there be, or what further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek, rather than one named after the order of Aaron? For when there is a change in the priesthood, there is necessarily a change in the law as well. For the one of whom these things are spoken belong to another tribe, from which one has ever served at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah, and in connection with that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. This becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become a priest, not on the basis of a legal requirement concerning bodily descent, but by the power of an indestructible life. For it is witness of him, you are a priest forever, after the order of Melchizedek. For on the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weaknesses and uselessness. For the law made nothing perfect, but on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. And it was not without an oath. For those who formerly became priests were made such without an oath. But this one was made a priest with an oath by the one who said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. This makes Jesus our guarantor of a better covenant. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he's able to save to the uttermost to those who draw near to God through him, since he, is al- since he is always lives in the intercession of them. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unsustained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily for first for his own sins and then for, for, the, for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. 
For the law appoints men in their weaknesses as high priests, but the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Alan. I want to mention something to you that may not have crossed your mind recently, or maybe, maybe not at all. It's this. You need a priest. You need a priest. I don't mean someone in a robe and collar today. I'm not putting any denomination down. That's just not simply what I'm talking about. What I mean is that you have a problem that can only be solved by a certain priest. A twofold problem, really. A problem of our sin and God's holiness. A problem of our guilt before God and God's utter greatness. One writer has described it like this, saying, Sin, sin is a vast ocean that separates us from God. No one can swim across it. That's the problem. That's the issue. Sin, our failings, and the sinfulness into which we're born separates us from God like the Pacific Ocean separates San Diego from Japan. And you cannot swim there. You can't just approach God like you are. You can't just waltz into his presence on your own. So here's the question. How will you cross that ocean How will you enjoy the fellowship, the relationship with God for which you were made? Answer, a priest. A particular priest. My main idea is quite simple. It is simply this. Jesus is the priest you must have. Jesus is the priest you must have for all you most need. That's an Easter truth, you might say, to tuck into your hearts this morning. Jesus Christ is the priest you must have for all, friends, for all that you most need right now. And we see that in this passage here through three aspects of Jesus' priesthood. It is, a, it is a somewhat difficult passage. We're going to draw three aspects, though, of Jesus' priesthood, showing us that he is the priest we must have right now. First, let's see that Jesus is our guaranteeing priest, you might say. He is our guaranteeing priest. That's make, that'll make more sense in a moment. Here's the situation. Here's the background. This is written to early Jewish Christians who were suffering for their faith, suffering persecution. They are tempted as a result to turn away from Jesus. So the the point of the whole book is basically, don't turn away from Jesus. Don't trade Jesus for what you think is a better deal. Don't go back to the old Jewish system. You might say these early Christians were spiritual uh, comparison shoppers. Do you ever do that? Comparison shop, always wanting to get a better deal. I always check out the internet deals. What's a better deal? Can I, can I comparison shop AT&T and Verizon? Who can get me the better deal? They're doing that, spiritually speaking, you might say. Old priesthood with no Jesus, but no persecution. Or Jesus as priest and all these troubles, all this difficulty, all this pain. Which is better? And God is saying to them and to us, 
the superior priesthood is that of my son. And to help us see that, God does his own comparison beginning in verse 20. Verse 20, let's pick it up about halfway into the sentence in verse 20, where we read, those who formerly became priests, those human Jewish priests, that system of priesthood, they were made such without an oath. So those priests in the line of Aaron, Moses' brother, they didn't have an, an oath from God. He was, yes, by God's command, but not an oath is the contrast. Instead, verse 21, but this one, Jesus, was made a priest with an oath by the one who said to him, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You, Speaking of the coming Messiah, you are a priest forever, quoting Psalm 110. So catch this. All those Jewish priests served, yes, at God's command, but not with an oath. But of God's Son, of God's very own Son, as it were, God swears an oath. I, I swear, I will not change my mind you will be a priest forever. Now, think about that for a moment. God cannot lie. God is incapable of any falsehood. Incapable of any untruthfulness whatsoever. What the unlying God says can be fully trusted. But here it is as if he adds an extra layer of assurance for our doubting hearts and these struggling first century believers. He says, look, God promised with an oath. You might say, so what? Well, the so what is given in verse 22. This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. This makes Jesus the, the guarantor of a, a better and sure, committed relationship with God. Now, this word translated guarantor, that's the only place in the New Testament in which that word is used. It, it was used in this day commonly, though, in legal documents as a kind of sure promise, a guarantee. You might think of the difference between receiving a personal check and a cashier's check. If I were to give you a personal check for $1 million right now, would you have much confidence in that check? <laughs> you might say, thank you. Are you playing a joke on me, Tab? What, what, thank you for the check for $1 million. Would you be very confident to take that to the bank and trust the bank will transfer funds in the name of $1 million from my account to your account. No, probably not, right? You could play basketball with that check. It's going to bounce. However, if I were to now hand you a cashier's check for $1 million, would that change things? I would hope so. Yes. Why? Because a cashier's check is the bank saying, we are the guarantor of that money. We guarantee that this check, this promise for $1 million will be good. That's what verse 22 is saying about your priests and this relationship with God. A, 
a better, sure, firm, committed relationship with God is that certain this check, friends, will always cash. It speaks to the absolute reliability of your priests. As sure as the sun will rise tomorrow, so sure is this relationship with God through Christ. If you could stop the sun from rising or the earth from spinning on its axis, then perhaps this covenant with God through Christ could cease, but it will not. It never will. And the effect, friends, should be a deep sense of assurance for us already. A deep sense of assurance in our hearts. I have never experienced persecution like the original recipients of this letter. But we know similar temptations, don't we? Can we relate to a similar temptation at times to drift from Jesus in our faith? As the hymn puts it, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Anyone not relate to that in some fashion? We are all prone to wander in many ways. Have you been wandering a bit in your faith? Are you here this morning finding yourself wrestling with doubts? Maybe maybe a teenager, maybe a young person. And you're in that season of life where you're wondering, is this real? Is my parents' faith going to be my own faith? Is this this really all it's cracked up to be? Is is Jesus truly the way, the truth, the life? I mean, he, he... he demands the entirety of my being. I just saying, crown him with many crowns. Is he honestly worth the devotion of the entirety of my life? Look, doubts are not uncommon. Doubts are not uncommon. Doubts are rather common. They just must be resolved. And this passage is here to help you resolve them. I was speaking this week at Helix High School to a classroom of high schoolers, (laughs) no surprise, about the resurrection of Jesus. And I taught them from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If Christ is not raised, your faith is futile, you are still in your sins. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied. And I said, look, if Christ is not raised, this is a cruel joke. We're playing a religious game. I said, you're to be pitied. But Christ is raised. But Christ is raised. That means, that guarantees your faith is not futile. That means you are not still in your sins if you are trusting him. And you are not to be pitied because you hope in Christ for this life and the life to come. This passage is like that. It's meant to assure your soul and settle your doubts. Jesus is this guaranteeing priest of a better covenant, a sure, firm, committed relationship with God. He will never let you go. He is the priest you must have for all you most need, friends, bringing you that assurance. Secondly, it gets better. Secondly, Jesus is our permanent priest. He is our permanent priests. Look at verse 23 with me next. 23. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. 
but he, Jesus, holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. See, part of a priest's job was to, to represent you before God. It was kind of like it was kind of like the Apollo 11 mission. There is a new documentary out about the Apollo 11 mission to the moon where Neil Armstrong steps onto the lunar surface and apparently was supposed to say that's one small step for a man, one giant leap for mankind. But he didn't say that, did he? He said one small step for man. He left out the A. One small step for man. That's a big difference. That's saying I'm representing all of you in this step. That's kind of what a priest did. A priest went where you couldn't go, taking one small step for man, mankind, men and women, representing you before God, and as it were, securing your relationship with God and your access to God that way. That's what a priest did, especially, especially the high priest. The high priest in particular had this distinctive breastplate with 12 gems on it, written the 12 tribes of Israel, the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. So he would go into the immediate holy presence of God, carrying the names of the people of God, in a very real sense, representing the people. One small step for the people of God, where they can't go, I go on their behalf. And that was kind of your security before God. That was, in a sense, your access to God. He was, he was on your behalf, securing an approach to God. The problem was, as verse 23 is highlighting, all those former priests died. They had fixed lifespans like you and me. So catch this. Your spiritual security, in a real sense, for relating to God is dependent on one representing you before God, but that person keeps dying. And then they replace him with somebody else. What you need and what I need is someone who can always be there. Always representing you before God himself. And that's what God is getting at in verse 24. He holds his priesthood permanently, the God-man, because he continues forever. And this speaks to the security we have in a permanent priest, as verse 25 explains. Verse 25 says, Consequently, he is able... Your permanent priest is able to save to the uttermost. That is a wonderful word. Completely. Finally. He's able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since. Since he always lives to make intercession for them before God. Jesus Christ, our permanent priest, saved completely, finally, since he's always there representing his people. Think about it. Where will you find that kind of security for your soul to relate to God? Where will you find that? Where will you find security before God in the face of your own guilt? 
Where will you find security before God when you feel condemned by your sin? I'll tell you where. In the words of a hymn by Charles Wesley, who captures the work of this permanent priest like this. Notice Wesley's words. Arise, my soul, arise. Shake off thy guilty fears. Are you experiencing guilty fears this morning? Shake them off. The bleeding sacrifice in my behalf right now appears. Before the throne, my surety stands. My name is written on his hands, not on the breastplate of the high priest. My name is written on his hands. Notice, he ever lives above this permanent priest. He ever lives above for me to intercede. His all-redeeming love, his precious blood to plead, his blood atone for every race, his blood atone for every race, and sprinkles now the throne of grace that you might draw near confidently at all times. That is, in my opinion, a beautiful poetic description of Hebrews chapter 7. Shake off thy guilty fears. Why? His glorified sacrifice for you always appears. He always lives to make intercession for you. So you need not fear drawing near to God. But let's expand the application a little bit. We should shake off our guilty fears if we are in Christ. But I think we can shake off some other fears as well as implied. If we have a permanent priest securing our relationship with God and our access to God, shouldn't that give us security in the face of any fear? From our vantage point, lots of things seem uncertain, don't they? Our health seems uncertain. Our finances, uncertain. Our relationships can feel uncertain. The state of the culture around us can feel very uncertain. We face many uncertainties from our vantage point and so face many temptations to fear and to worry and to anxiety. You might even be here wondering, will I endure? Will I persevere? Well, F.F. Bruce points out, that a good place to see Jesus' intercession in action as your priest is what he does in Luke chapter 22. You don't need to turn there. In Luke 22, Jesus says to Peter some rather startling words. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. How would you like to be told that by the Lord? Uh, Simon, You are particularly on Satan's radar. Uh, Simon, the enemy of your soul has you in his crosshairs. He is specifically targeting you and wants to sift you. He wants to put you through the ringer, buddy. Now stop there and that's frightening. Stop there and it's very fearful. Stop there and you want some security. And so then Jesus says, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And so it didn't, not fully and finally. 
Oh, he stumbled, yes. He fell, yes. But he got up again. He did not fall fully and finally. And friends, neither will you if you are in Christ. This permanent priest is interceding for you such that one day, one day you and I will look back on our lives and we will relate well to these words of Charles Spurgeon, who wrote the following. One more quote here. He says, we little know what we owe to our Savior's prayers. When we reach the hilltops of heaven and look back upon all the way whereby the Lord our God has led us, as we look back on our lives, how we shall praise him who, before the eternal throne, undid the mischief which Satan was doing upon the earth. How shall we thank him because he never held his peace, but day and night pointed to the wounds upon his hands and carried our names upon his breastplate. Can you say amen to that, friends? Is that not security for your present and your future? Knowing you have a permanent priest always interceding for you, and he will bring you safely home. Jesus is the priest you must have for all you most need, bringing you such security. He's a guaranteeing priest, he's a permanent priest. All that leading to this third point Jesus is our effective priest. He is our effective priest. Look at verse 26 with me, please. Verse 26. For it was indeed fitting. Fitting that we should have such a high priest. Notice, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners and exalted above the heavens. So he's describing perfection. Such a priest who is perfect in character, perfect in holiness, perfect in every way, which means he can get the job done like no other priest. Verse 27, he has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. That's a verse to memorize. There is a show I've been told of on the Discovery Channel called Dirty Jobs. Every vocation, listen, every legitimate vocation is unto the Lord an expression of worship. So if yours is a dirty job, it is unto the Lord. It is a legitimate vocation. But here are some of the dirty jobs. Sewage plant worker. That can be dirty. Cleaning up cow dung. Enough said. Stuffing dead pigs, not sure what they're being stuffed with, but imagine it's probably dirty. And collecting owl vomit. Not sure what's going on there either. Those are some dirty jobs. Listen, a priest's job was a dirty job. Because there was constant slaughter of animals. You were surrounded by blood all day long. It was like a horror movie. It was gory. And gross. And the point of all that was to say, look at the awful effects of sin. Look at what sin deserves and requires. 
Someone has to pay for sin. That's what all the gore was to teach. Verse 27, however, identifies another problem with that former priesthood, their own sin. Their own sin. So they had to sacrifice over and over for their sins and the sins of people. So put yourself in those uh, priests' shoes. All day long, they'd be thinking, how many times must I sacrifice for my sins and all the people? It never ends. It's Monday through whatever, Friday or Saturday, Sunday, every day. We're sacrificing more and more animals. Another animal, another animal, another animal for my sins, other people's sins. It never stops. Then Jesus comes and says, now it stops. Now it ends. Why? Because the perfect priest has come and offered up himself. No repetition needed. No repetition should be attempted. Such a sacrifice only needed one time. Because it is utterly effective. That's why you read those three precious words in verse 27, once for all. I think if you take away anything from this morning, I'd recommend those three words. Once for all. This is especially poignant on Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday, when Jesus entered Jerusalem, that final week of his earthly ministry as the Passover feast was beginning, that was the day in which they would drive the flocks into Jerusalem to be slaughtered later in the week. So they're driving all the Passover lambs into the city for slaughter. And of course, as they were slaughtered later that week, soldiers were nailing our Savior to a cross for our sins that we could read once for all. Once for all. A pastor named Donald Gray Barnhouse put it like this so you can appreciate the effect for your life. He said, your sins can be in only one of two places. Your sins can be in only one of two places, either on your head or on Christ's head. Because there's been an effective sacrifice, because it's once for all, no repetition needed or to be attempted, your sins, all of your sins, are either in one of two places, either on your head or on the head of your effective priest who gave himself. This is the glory of having Jesus as your priest. This is the glory and wonder of Good Friday and Easter Sunday. Your sins, past, present, and future, if you believe, no longer on your head, on the head of your priest forever. Wesley's hymn goes on in the next stanza to capture this as well. Wesley wrote, Five bleeding wounds he bears, received on Calvary, 
They pour effectual prayers or effective prayers. They pour effectual prayers. They, they work. They strongly plead for me. Forgive him, oh, forgive, they cry. Forgive him, oh, forgive, they cry. Nor let that ransom sinner die. Friends, listen. Because of his effectual prayers, because of his glorified wounds, that's your state. That's your status. So this Easter, rejoice in those three words, once for all, and by God's grace, live in light of them as much as God will enable you. Live your life in light of them, not just this week, but every week. Not just next Sunday or next Friday, but every day. Think of it like this, on Good Friday, there were, of course, two criminals crucified with Jesus, one on either side. One criminal railed at Jesus, if you are who you say you are, save yourself and us. I love the response of the other criminal. I'd like to paraphrase it as, shut up. Shut up. We're getting what we deserve. This man has done nothing wrong. And then this guy, this thief who's being crucified, utters an amazing statement of penitent faith. Jesus Remember me when you come into your kingdom. In other words, I know you are king and you can save. I'd like to crown you with many crowns as I hang on this cross. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus, of course, replies, Today you'll be with me in paradise. I think sometimes we'd like to say to that criminal, You know, I'm sorry, but you didn't have enough maturity develop to go to the kingdom. You need to grow more. You need some time to really show yourself. And then you can come to the kingdom. But the thief that day went to paradise because his sins were no longer on his head, but on Christ's. Friends, that's how you live the Christian life. Yes, you are to grow. Yes, you are to mature. Without a doubt, let us spur each other on. But you live every day like that thief, looking away from yourself to your priest, where your sins are on his head once for all. You live the Christian life just like you started, repenting and believing, turning to Christ and trusting in Christ. So live that way this week and every week. Growing, yes. Maturing, yes. But ultimately, friend, looking away from yourself to your priest who made this effective sacrifice for you. Once for all. Do you see why I said earlier that you need a priest? And Jesus must be that priest. He is the guaranteeing priest, bringing assurance. He is a a permanent, the permanent priest, bringing security for your soul. And he is the effective priest, bringing salvation once for all. Friends, he is the priest you must have for all that you most need right now.
So let us end by hoping in him and celebrating him through the Lord's Supper. Would the music team please come? And those who are going to serve us, prepare to do so.